welcome to another episode of 52 in 52, a podcast where we watch at least one movie a week for every week in the year and record an episode about it. Today we are doing a special kind of rewind, I guess, right, Josh? Well, I don't know what you would call it, but we... Uh, yeah, we haven't really named it yet. We might just call it another episode of 52 and 52 yeah. unless someone suggests like a cool name. Rewind seems a little too ubiquitous. Yeah, but, no, uh, I, I didn't want to. I just, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. That's the idea. So. That's the idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're, today we're talking about Almost Famous, and I guess the reason that we're talking about it is twofold. And first is because this summer of movies is terrible. And second of all is because Josh and I have been like bugging each other to watch movies that one of us hasn't seen before. And I had not seen Almost Famous yet. And we sort of had a list and put out a poll and... Um, I guess it's just you didn't really you didn't really bug me about anything. I tried to get you to bug me about stuff, and you just like didn't give me a suggestion. Well, I told you to watch what we do in the shadows, and you watched it. Oh well, you didn't suggest we could have talked about it, but I mean, there's nothing to talk about. It's the greatest movie of all time. It's fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so I just watched this. Uh, I actually watched it in pieces over the last couple days. I'm sure you guys all know Almost Famous, Cameron Crowe, one of his first half of movies. I guess he did Jerry Maguire. Say anything, Fast Times at Ridgemont, and the um, I mean his best movie. I, is, I think you can out. you can pretty clearly break his career into two halves. I mean, it seems weird to like say that's part of a first half when like um, Fast Times came out in 1982. He didn't direct that; he wrote it. But then like there, it's like a pretty clear markation. Like, yeah, I, th- I think we both might like Jerry Maguire better than this, but like it's pretty clear how far it goes downhill after this, as yeah, opposed to like, before the Sky and. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know, dude. Aloha. We bought it too. Elizabeth Town, Aloha. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't. Where do you want to start, man? You're take the lead on this one. Yeah. So this was one that I was excited to talk about because I thought, like, we we mentioned on this podcast a lot when we talk about music, how I just don't know shit about music, and Anthony does, and I thought, well, Anthony might really love this movie because it talks a lot about musical stuff, and then I really liked it anyway, so that should bode well. And I hadn't watched it. I think I watched it twice, not too far apart with each of the, either of those viewings, like maybe like six years ago, like when I was really into journalism. Mm-hmm. I was a journalism major in undergrad, so I thought, oh, this is really cool. I'm watching, like seeing this kid that's a little younger than I am at the time and um, going through a pretty cool journalistic experience. And then when I really started getting involved in writing about sports and I saw how terrible the access was at uh, writing about college athletics, I thought, wow, this is a really cool window into like something I never got to experience because no one ever gets this kind of access to athletes or famous people anymore. And I really like that window into it. And I remember that was the prism through which I watched it the first time. And then this time I just wasn't really as like taken by that, even though there because I think the characterization of Rolling Stone as a magazine is a little ridiculous, and how they don't really know that like the kid that's writing for them is 15, and then they're like really like he writes supposedly a great article, and then they get scared about publishing it because like the band gets scared about a couple of quotes, like it, it the whole journalism thing just doesn't necessarily work for me as much on a second viewing as so much as like the creative process. But I think the other thing about watching this is I, I've since the last couple of times I watched it, I've obviously have gotten it. We've gotten into doing this podcast, and I just watch movies with a different type of critical eye. So uh, while there are definitely still things I like about this movie, I definitely don't remember. It's not as good as I remembered it being for sure. And that's what I will say about that before I ramble on for three more minutes and don't give you a chance to talk so what was what was your initial reaction because i i'm guessing i probably built it up a little too much based on what you've told me so far and you probably didn't like it but you'd already you'd already heard about it before i even suggested it so i bet it was something something, so it seems like it was maybe something a little different than what you were expecting too yeah i don't know i mean this is another one of those movies 
like, um, shoot, what's, uh, I don't remember. What's the boyhood director guy? Linklater. What's the, what's the movie we watched that I hated? Um, uh, what's it called? Um, Days and Confused. Yeah. So I don't know. This sort of has like a Days and Confused vibe to me in the sense that Everyone is like, oh, this movie is so classic and it's so good, yada, yada, yada. I mean, of course, I've I hold, it. It holds up better than Days and Confused. Sure. Okay, yes. First and foremost, it holds up better than Days and Confused. But just like the aura surrounding it for someone yeah, who yeah. hasn't seen it in, and now is 16 years later, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the biggest thing I took away from it when I watched it is I'm not really sure why it's so popular mm-hmm. and why it's so well-reviewed. I mean, it's fine. It definitely... I mean, there are some good scenes, but there are also some like really dumb scenes and dumb acting and terrible writing. So I don't know. One one of my biggest takeaways was I remembered it being a music movie, and it's it was more of a coming, at, but and it was more of a coming of age movie about a character who was not played by a great, a very good actor. Yeah, and I think that's part of what bothers me. I really think all the act. I mean, yeah, I guess there are parts where maybe the script's not as good as I would have remembered. I, 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 I had assumed it got a like a best Oscar screenplay nomination, but I don't actually think it did. I don't think it did either. I think it, I think it was just for the two um, the two supporting actresses actually were the only nominations. Um, or no, it did get a screen. He did get best screenplay. I, that was a different he movie. Won I looked best up best screenplay. Yeah, it won, it won best uh, screenplay in two thousand. Yeah. Uh, or like 2001 Oscars year 2000, he be, it. Uh, I guess it it, it beat out. Um, let's see, what did it beat out? Uh, beat out Billy Elliot, Aaron Brockovich, Gladiator, and You Can Count on Me by Kenneth Lonergan. So uh, I don't know if you have strong feelings about those others, but yeah. So I don't, I, sorry for misspeaking there, but yeah, it won the best screenplay Oscar, and uh, Kate Hudson and Frances McDormand got Oscar nominations, and it had best editing. So like, obviously, like v- very well thought of at the time, and. I think the acting is really good, and like I, I don't know if I even noticed the, for the most part, aside from the main character, which is pro- problematic for me. I think the acting is really good, and it's just, I think it's good enough that I don't notice the screenplay problems as much as I maybe would if they weren't. But um, yeah, I think I, I, I went back thinking it was a move. Like they kept the thing that really probably bothers me the most is that. I one of the things I wish it had gotten at more was about the just the creative process in general. I remembered it as a journalism movie, and I came back to it. And they keep talking about throughout the movie, these Rolling Stone people keep like bugging him about his article, and then he's like, "Yeah, it's about this mid-level band that's really trying to struggle and figure out what it is." And he keeps yeah. repeating that it's line over and over again. And yeah, yeah, like that's a buzzword that um, Wester bangs the C- Philip Seymour often characters. I think Philip Seymour was really good though. He, him, and Jason yeah. Lee, I think were way better than everyone else in this movie uh okay well yeah and i was re- actually because i remembered him being really good and then like there's that first scene where he's in the radio station i'm like this seems kind of weird i don't remember him being like this but he's he's clearly he's putting on some kind of act just because he's on the radio and then he's yeah. like, really really good after that and you realize that wait he was just putting doing some kind of radio shtick and like he's really good and i but i i, like, I remember thinking like okay if it's it's not if it's not going to be about there's not a ton about music specifically but I would have liked to have learned a little bit more about like the the songwriting process when you are like a band that's hitting that point in your career because that's something I think about a lot even as someone who really doesn't know much about music I do think about like these people are trying to write their, especially people that write their own music and they're trying to do it from a personal place it's like how do you once you like get to a certain level of fame how do you actually like have enough regular experiences to write compelling music you know at a certain point where it's like you can't go out of your house without being mobbed by fans or whatever like how do you actually maintain like a point of view and have something interesting to say and i think 
it gets at that a little bit when they're at that house party and he but but i mean he's also like high as fuck for most of that so it's like it's it's it's, it's played it's played for laughs but he's like i want to talk to real people and i can i kind of get that um because it's like you probably do have a desire at some points to just like be able and go hang out with common folk just so you can like do something different than this like sit in your house which is pretty much all you can do when you're a famous person at a certain point because you just have to be isolated because you're just too famous to live a regular day-to-day life and i and he keeps uh, rebuffing his attempts for an interview throughout the whole movie which i mean i guess i, I maybe it's about his he doesn't want to confront that and what that means and if like i mean there's whole thing about them getting on the plane and they're losing their identity so it maybe gets at it in more subtle ways but i think they could have spent a lot more time on it and uh, we haven't even mentioned Kate Hudson yet, and I guess since you mentioned that two of the, two of the other actors were way better than everyone else, and she's always gotten praise for this role, and I I do think it's deserved because I think it's better than a lot of her performances. But I left the movie finding the character or the, the way they utilize the character a little more problematic for the rest of it because I just talked about all that other um, creative process stuff that I would have liked them focus on, and, and instead it focuses on Penny Lane, who they build up and they talk about her a lot and how great she is. And I get why the William character would be infatuated with her because he's like this kid that clearly never got 15. He's 15. He never had any interest from girls at school and he just loves music. And here's this cute girl that likes music who clearly doesn't mind talking to him. So it makes sense. But then we spend so much of the movie on her and Russell and it's just like you never actually see them talk. It's just like they go they go off on their own to like have sex. sex, And and then it's just like, we're led to believe they have this connection and they just keep talking about it. We don't actually know what it is. And so much of the movie dwells on that. And because we don't actually like see them have scenes together, it's really, doesn't really work at all. And I'm like, wow, you could have focused so much more on the movie on like more interesting shit. And instead it's just all about this girl that we, yeah, it's a good performance. And I buy that as a person, but we don't actually know anything about her. And that's probably the part that really bothered me the most in my rewatch. Yeah, I think that most of the I, I think that Crow tries like really hard in this movie to sort of explore a lot of different topics, whether it be like the music, love, coming of age, uh 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 sons and daughters relationship with their parents, leaving home, um the Rolling Stone magazine, what it's like to be a band when one person is better than the others or thinks they're better than the others, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and obviously the stuff with the band-aids and all that stuff too, but I don't think that he really took the time to explore any area particularly, I don't want to say well, but like deep enough or that interesting to me because it was all, it just all seemed very not surface level in the terms of like, Oh, this is obvious, but surface level in terms of like, we didn't, go deeper and really and really like go into things because uh, I don't know I don't re- like even the stuff with the band you don't really have a background of Russell and their relationship to they just tell you about their it's exposition like oh Russell I think I'm better than them I'm gonna leave them soon but they're all getting more money now so I feel bad but I don't know I just don't really feel like we got a lot of uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't disagree. Would you have? Uh, would, I mean, I get that you didn't you, you didn't like this movie as much as you had hoped you would, based on what everyone told you. But did you mind? Like, were you cool enough? Like, would you have minded hanging out in this world for like another half hour if this was a two and a half hour movie as opposed to a two hour movie? Like, did, were you like h- dreading it the movie as it went on and you just wanted it to be over? No, or could you have like? Well, I think that I don't really like think the last twenty minutes were very good. 
Honestly. I was, that was a, I was actually a question I was going to ask you because uh, I, I went back and I looked at it right before we started the podcast. And one thing I kind of was trying to think about, w- would it have been better if the movie had just ended when Russell says, write what you want? And Probably, when, yeah. Because then you have this whole like hokey thing about um, Rolling Stone, like, oh, we can't run this because the band didn't like it, even though it's like this dude's been hanging out with the band for like two weeks. Like, I think you, he probably saw some shit. Like, it's not that hard to believe, and they they freak Especially out. Especially coming from like a kid being on a on a on a tour, like they yeah. know that stuff happens. Yeah. So like they they, they they I mean, I get it. Like they're caught off guard because they didn't know the kid was fifteen. But it's like we have to go through this whole charade of like you know the article is going to get written. Like we're not stupid. Like they're probably not spending. Like I I I never. I mean, I guess I knew it was going to get written because I'd seen the movie before. But it's like I bet you probably didn't didn't actually think he was going to not get his article published. Yeah, so, of course not. So 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 it's like we have to go through this whole thing of like them saying no, and then like then but and, and eventually it's like oh yeah actually i did tell i did go back to rolling stone and i did tell them that it was the truth and it's just that that is exactly 20 minutes pretty much from the point there's 20 minutes right, left when in the they movie. get off the plane there's like yeah and he says left. and he says write what you want there's like 21 minutes left in the movie and like i guess i guess there was something to it with like russell like tr- realizing that like hey maybe i need to actually go like figure out like who i am and what i am as an artist and actually doing this interview with this kid i fucked over would be uh would be good for me and as opposed to just going to chase this groupie across california well, i well i actually i'm not sure you're totally correct there because russell calls kate hudson and he's like let's say all the things we never said and and she's like okay, and then instead of meeting up with him, she's like, everything that you've never said is stuff you need to say to the world or to yourself via William. Yeah, he you know, know what he, I mean? he, he but no, Russell no, isn't yeah, like trying to no, go he, talk to yeah, William. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To I, oh, I know he didn't okay, make that right, decision, right. but I feel like I feel like you could see it on his face once he realizes where he is when yeah, he gets he, in that yeah, house. Of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. He, so I, he, yeah, he obviously didn't make the choice to go there, but I feel like once he's there, you can see it on his face. He's like, oh well. Yeah, I guess this this is where I need to be. Like, I feel like he. I don't know. If the, I'm saying I don't know if that realization is actually important enough to like make the no. last 20 minutes of the movie worth it. No, is what because I'm saying. the other thing is like this whole vehicle of them being on a plane and about to die is. It, I mean, it's not really cliche, but it's like it's just a vehicle for Crow to let all these characters say all these things that they weren't saying before, mm-hmm. instead of like a more interesting way to write it and like them actually confronting each other in like a backstage or before a show or on a bus or whatever i just Mm -hmm. think that it's kind of like almost a cop-out just to do it that way and then and then we get nothing else with the band after that you know so we don't even see like the ramifications of what happens with that besides russell trying to i guess realizing he loves penny or whatever you want to say we do see that they're back together and they have the yeah. no airplanes yeah. tour. So we, sure. we see that they get back together. But I get what you're saying. It's like instead of just like spitting out all that dialogue in that two-minute scene, like you could have actually given us a little more context for like wh- how they – they could have just had, had him write his article normally. And then, um, yeah, he could have had some scene with Penny and then they could have gone back to the band a little bit or something. Like I think that would have worked a lot better. Uh, you made some comment when we were talking earlier before this podcast about – uh, concerned mom roles. Did you have a strong objection to Frances McDormand's yeah, I performance? She was bad. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I thought it was. I thought Zoe Deschanel was really terrible. Um, really? I thought the beginning, like ten minutes, were really bad. Um, I don't know. It just. It was maybe it was just very two thousands or very nineties instead of like 
and it was okay, but I just thought it was kind of dumb. What do you What do you mean by very two thousands or nineties? I mean the movie set in nineteen seventy three. So what do you? Well, yeah, okay, so very seventies then is what I mean. Just like <laughs> uh, not just like, the, just the way the mom was treating the kid. You mean? Well, yeah, just like the whole I don't know, just the whole aura of that of that first like fifteen minute set piece was just like weird, like and very cliche with like the way Zoe Deschanel is talking to her mom, like, it's just rock and roll and all this other... Oh, yeah. I don't remember... I, I I had remembered things she said. I don't remember now. She, like, said some very cliche things about, like, what rock music will do and whatever else, and it's kind of silly. And I, and Francis McDormand says some weird-ass shit, too, in the beginning. Um, I guess so, that's just a specific type of mom that maybe existed back then. Maybe, yeah, can't yeah that's to, fine. I just... And maybe 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 that's why old people older people really like this movie. And I've heard a lot of older people like say like they liked her performance even better than Kate Hudson's. Which um, I, I I mean I, I probably disagree with that, but I guess the reason is like old people maybe like moms are just like that maybe in the seventies, and that's why like these movie critics that are like in their forties and were in their forties and fifties when they like wrote the the reviews of this like thought she was great because it was personal to them. But yeah, no, I mean like, I just don't I don't relate at all to that. Like yeah. my parents not I mean. Sure, growing up when I'm like 10 and I'm like, hey, buy me this parental advisory CD. They're like, no. But it's, that all it, the time. But it's not the same. I don't know. I just – maybe it's just the access I thing. You know did, what I, I mean? did laugh. I did laugh at the scenes where like she was on the phone with him and she hears stuff going on in the background. Like, She's I, making I, I, faces I laugh- about stuff. I don't even remember the faces so much as it was just like she I mean, regardless of whether or not you like the character, like she'd been pretty well established at that point. So even before they show her, yeah. like when you hear the stuff that's being said in the background while he's on the phone, like I'm I am laughing just knowing that it's gonna piss her off so much. But I mean Well the I, thing is it's kind of strange the way that she treats Zoe and then all of a sudden when William's fifteen, it's like Okay, I'm gonna let him go on tour with a famous band with all these groupies and all these drugs and all this alcohol and just like all I'm gonna do is call him and make uh, strange faces and give these like one-liners. She only agreed for him to like go to L.A. and then he's just like deuces, mom. Like, yeah, he was like, but I, I mean, I it was know. still a big deal for him to her to let him go like with the band like two hours north because they're in San Diego. So to let him go like two hours north to L.A. for even like a few days, she, I guess. Even his mom like grew up as like or like not even grew up, but sort of changed her tone. Like at first it was, you know, I have you till I'm 18, whatever, whatever, and then it's just like okay, like. Uh, so I'm not really don't do drugs. Too great at school. Yeah, don't do drugs. Don't do whatever. I don't know. It was. I don't know. I maybe it's just something that doesn't hold up to me personally. I didn't really love all that stuff. And just every time they get to a hotel and some annoyed person is like, "Your mom is on the phone and left you a message. Don't do drugs." No, no, no. I don't know. It was just like whatever. Like I'm, I, yeah. I'm over that. I just want to get to interesting stuff. Yeah, I mean, so you said what? What did you like? You said you liked Jason Lee. Was there anything I else? Jason that, Lee was like really good, honestly. I'm really not totally familiar with this work. Like, I like him in this too. It's just like I, I, I didn't mean, really have. I, I, I mean, I, I don't really know him from much besides like My Name Is Earl or whatever else he's been in. But I thought yeah. that he, I, I just think that the way Crow writes his movies, there's a lot of times the things that are said are very, like. <sighs> like dreamy almost like this is what I wish people would say or you know if you're like in a in a relationship or something and it's like oh like I wish that my girlfriend would talk like this or my boyfriend would talk like this whatever whatever and I just think that in terms of like the way the band coexisted Jason Lee's character as the front man was very real to the problems that the band was having and the problems of someone 
being more famous than the rest of them, et cetera. And um, I don't know. I just, I thought his performance was good. And I thought, like I said earlier, I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman was really good and, and, and interesting and not like corny as what his role easily could have been. What did you think of Billy Crudup thing? Because that's a part that I mean, um, I, I don't. I mean, I don't really know. That's the thing. Going back to what I said earlier, is they don't really explore anything. It's just, it's very general to me. This like experience that he's having, and a lot. I feel like there are a lot of scenes where he's kind of just like looking out into the into the abyss and just like staring at things, um, and it just doesn't really. I mean, I I, I I like that. Like he, I get, I get they could, I get that they could have dove deeper into him, but I still like that better than like the stereotype that character could have been at the same time. I, but I, th- I feel like he was kind of stereotypical. No, just like cheating on his girlfriend and 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 being a dick to his bandmates and oh, I'm more famous than them. I'm gonna leave them. Blah blah blah. And I don't know, doing drugs and drinking and I don't know all, all that other stuff. I don't really. Well, I, mm-hmm. I don't really know what wasn't stereotypical about it. Well, I mean, I don't know. I guess, like, I, I, I just, like I said, I don't. I guess I just have a stereotype in mind, but maybe I don't know music well enough to like actually know what that stereotype is. He just, he seemed a little more normal. Maybe it was just because how he dressed, and I got his envision like seventies rockers dressing differently than just like a button down and jeans, and that seemed normal to me. And he didn't seem like he was too over the top in his delivery of anything. Well, I think and, he was just connecting with the kid a little bit, which sort of makes his like makes him more human if it's like a famous person, you know what I mean? Mm. Like if they're if you're in that situation, you see this famous person and they're like hanging out with this 15-year-old kid all the time and they're being nice to them, you see them in a more human way than you do when they're playing guitar on a on a stage or something, I think. Yeah. But I don't mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I thought he was okay. I just wish that they had let his character like actually like feel something or show something instead of like I don't know. It was very so just being kind of obsessed with the woman that we don't really know why he's obsessed yeah, with. Yeah, because the, Kate Hudson's character is like, you know, when she first comes on the the movie, she it's when William is about to call them groupies, and she's like trying to correct him or make him say the word groupie or whatever, and then mm-hmm. she has this whole spiel, and then she's sort of like mysterious. It's not about the sex; it's about the music. Yeah, and she has this like mysterious vibe, and some like things with her are interesting, but at the same time. Like you said, it's still problematic too, and I don't know. I I wasn't like in love with the portrayal of her or even her performance in it either. I I don't know. I wish like some of the things she was saying were very like I'm saying. I just want to sound smart to say things coming from, but it's not her. I mean, it's the way the writing is. You know what I'm saying? Like it's just yeah. But uh, I mean, I think I mean I think that's kind of the point of the character she's trying to make 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 her role out to be something more to it than it sure, is because if course. you think about if you think about where she is in life for too long you realize it's not really a great place no absolutely uh, not and do we get a, like an actual clarification on her age i mean she says she's 18 then she says she's 17 then she says she's 16 yeah that's part of like a running joke with william i don't think we ever know i'm just assuming like late teens early 20s yeah because um, i mean i hope she's 18 otherwise it's a creepy and then b also be like statutory rape yeah and then b like <laughs> Her and a 15-year-old, like, why does he even love... I mean, I get why he would say he loves her, but also, I feel like... I feel like... this. Oh, also, okay, the scene where he, he tell when she's on uh, Quaaludes, Quaaludes and he's like, I love you, and that was very weird. That was so weird. Yeah, okay, so, so do you agree he's the worst actor in the movie? Uh, I, I guess. I mean, he's 
he wasn't good. Is, I, I just think like for for the right actor, like that role in a movie, like that's that role. See, regardless of how you think about it, that's the kind of role that should like springboard you into like being a big deal. I think his and role was interesting, at least more so. The than role a lot is of the other, but roles. the performance isn't good. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The yeah. the role is one that like should have been like a big launching pad for like a guy that's like he was 17 years old when it was filmed. He obviously does look younger, and they were going yeah, for yeah. that. Yeah, so no, he fits it's like for like a, for, sure. for like a 17 year old actor to like get a role like that. Like that should like springboard you to bigger and better things. And I can't name one thing that Patrick Fugit has done aside from being like the the less important cop in Gone Girl. Like I can't tell you, tell you one I other wouldn't. thing he's I done. I couldn't even have told you that. Yeah, well, I only knew that because I'd seen Almost Famous when I saw Gone Girl. Like I probably wouldn't have I wouldn't have remembered him in Gone Girl if I'd seen if I'd seen it in the order that you did. But um, but yeah, that's why I like I I don't know like there, which is funny because I I was watching the beginning of this movie and I remember thinking like wow the kid that plays like younger him is like a better actor than him and and I, and I look at I look up that kid's IMDb and like that guy's actually doing stuff. His name is Michael Aguano and he's a, he I don't watch I haven't watched the Nick but um, uh, yeah people said that was good. And like apparently he's good in it, and then ironically enough, I I what he really really like d- did some really good work was like in the Stanford Prison Experiment, which mm. uh, came out came out last yeah. year, um, which actually ironically Bill, Billy Crudup's the lead in, and it has uh and it has uh it has like a bunch of young actors that are like doing stuff like uh, Ty Sheridan, Ezra, right? Ezra Miller has um has Miles Heiser, the kid that played the friend in Nerve that I was talking about, Thomas Mann, so has like a bunch of young actors that are like going on to do stuff, but like uh, his, his name is Michael. Angarnano, and like he's like plays one of the guards in the Stanford Prison Experiment movie experiment, and like he's just the standout. He like really chews up all the scenery in that movie, and it's just funny because I'm watching this, I'm like, this kid's actually like really good for someone who's probably like eight years old when they're filming this. He was actually like twelve, but like just his reactions when Zoe. I mean, I get it, you didn't like Zoe, but like when the when his his silent reactions when the parents are like when Francis McDormand's talking to Zoe Deschanel. Like really good, and then it's just like the kid they get to play the older version is not great, and that's why I, I asked you earlier. I actually have some ideas. It's okay if you don't, but I asked you to think of like who you would have cast that would have been passable for 15 years old yeah. in 1999. Could you think of anyone that you would well, have liked to have seen? So the the problem I had with your like answering your question was just yeah, I didn't remember. Like I, I looked up some people, but I just didn't remember them like doing things when they were that young. Or I'm not saying they had to have been like on the scene then. I'm sure. just saying like I, okay. Well, I think that I feel like this role was basically tailor made for like Jesse Eisenberg or something, right? Like this would have been a better role than in that other movie that I don't remember where I didn't like very much. I mean, Jesse Eisenberg is um, was born in 1983, so I mean, he would have been 16 when this filmed, and yeah. like that, that's that's I actually I honestly didn't think of him. I think he he could have done it, but like he was also like the reporter in. Um, yeah, that's what I said. That movie that I watched that I didn't like that much. What was that uh, movie called? With um, with uh, Jason, what's his face? Yeah, the David Foster Wallace movie. David I'm, Foster Wallace. Movie. I'm, yeah, tra- I'm drawing a blank on it too, actually, but um. Oh God! No, I'm having to look it up. Like, Sorry. Would, the, the, I, the end of the tour. I he wasn't he a great reporter in that. In this, than he would have been an end of the tour. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I, I I thought of a few other names, but like, yeah, I guess Jesse Eisenberg wasn't quite around yet in 1999. Um, my first thought, which doesn't actually work, was that like Logan Lerman six years ago probably would have killed it oh, in this. Been great. Because uh, like he, because it can't be someone that's like traditionally like really handsome, because that's of the point not. of this character. He's yeah. supposed to, and yeah, like Jesse Eisenberg. Jesse Eisenberg. <laughs> yeah, Jesse Eisenberg, Logan Lerman. Like, Sorry, Logan Jesse, Lerman, like not has that awkward look like down like in uh, yeah. Percy and Wildflower. But like I'm saying, like a, a few years before that, which I guess he was on the he was on the 
seen when he was 15, not when this movie was out or of the right age. The other three names I came up with were, or four names actually, ironically enough, I realized when I rewatched part of the movie after I'd already done my whole rewatch. Oh, Jay Baruchel? Exactly. Yeah, he was. Um, like, why, he's perfect. Why was he even in the movie? It was so weird. It was really random, but I'm like, hey, I think that's the kind of demeanor of a guy that like could have pulled it off, and he's actually kind of does that in uh, She's Out of My League, where it's just like, oh, absolutely, he's, he's having to deal with like the girl that he he's like really surprised likes him, and um, I think he does that very well, and I think he he's randomly in this and like Million Dollar Baby. It's like before you got sucked into the Seth Rogen machine, like yeah. you actually like, somehow got in good movies when like they were from Canada, like at the same time. It's just funny how he weaseled his way into a couple pretty. Um, iconic movies. Um, I th- so I thought first him, uh, Paul Dano. Yeah, um, sure. He yep, in 1984, so he would have been 15 when this movie filmed. Um, he actually really did come on the scene about three years after it filmed, yeah. and I thought he definitely could have done it. I mean, um, he kind of plays that in Girl Next Door, too. Right. Uh, um, yeah, exactly. Well, Emil Hirsch does in Girl Next Door. I guess he No, Paul Dano does more, I think. I'm just saying as far as like... Uh, the, being thrown in there with like having to like carry a movie as like the well, guy sure. that's like to carry the girl. But, but the awkward like type. oh yeah yeah awkward for sure so yeah. he could definitely do it um i thought of uh this might be a little bit of a stretch but i thought of jake gyllenhaal because in donnie darko like he does pass for like a high score in like a movie that came out in 2001 mm-hmm. so like maybe he could you could convince me he was 15 in, in like 1999 even though he would have been 18 then like he does a good job of like he definitely looks like he's in high school, even though he's of college age and Donnie Darko. And I just think he's a good enough actor he could have pulled it off, even if he's not quite the, like the nerdy looking kid that we think about. Like I think he still could have done it, and he's just a better actor than the guy that did it. And then um, Adam Driver was the other one I thought of. Oh my about- god, I would have loved that. I didn't think. Yeah, it. Like, I mean, he because he can do anything, and I think he was born in 1983, which is the same year Patrick Fugit was born. I don't know what Adam Driver looked like in 1999, and he Probably obviously ugly shit. Yeah, so, and, and no one knew who he was until 2010. So I think, like, the version of him that's just, like, the nerdy guy, like, I think of him, like, interviewing people in Midnight Special. It's like yeah. he, I, I would have liked to have seen him, like, in this movie just trying to interview people all throughout. Yeah. So I, I, I just think, like, yes, the, we talked about a lot of the problems that the movie had and how we don't like what it focused on exactly, and you thought the dialogue was cliche, but, like, a better actor can cover up for not great writing. Like, I think a lot of times actors are only as good as the script, but it's like they can still elevate a mediocre script yeah. at times. Well, I don't and, even think that will, that William's role was that cliche sur- or surrounded by the rest of it, but No, I'm not saying it's cliche. Good. I just think that, like, the... Yeah, this, like, he's asking... Like, a lot of... Yeah, you're right. A lot of the stuff he's saying isn't necessarily cliche dialogue it's something that makes sense for the character to say it's just like doesn't sound no and his facial expressions are very random and like yeah he just looks uncomfortable all the time well i think you would be but well just just like uncomfortable acting more than oh yeah yeah, yeah, in in a scene so yeah i think i I just think like a really strong actor like any of the any of the five guys we met six guys we mentioned there if you just throw them in there i think it holds the movie together a little bit better and um, but yeah, um, I, I mean, I'm, gl- I'm glad we talked about it because it's, I mean, it's interesting to get your thoughts on something like that that you've um, always heard about and me revisiting a movie and seeing the flaws I never realized were there. Um, yeah, because it's like William has these things where he, when he's first trying to talk to the band, he's like, so Russell, do you have to be depressed to write a sad song? Do you have to be in love to write a love song, et cetera, et cetera? And he asks a couple interesting questions and then they're just like, nah, that's too interesting for this movie. Let's, what do you yeah, like? Yeah. What do you love about music t- to begin with? Everything. It's like, fuck you, right, Cameron right, Crowe. Right, don't like, 
Don't say like, that shit to me. I mean, I, I I didn't remember the specific points in the movie before I rewatched it, but like, if you would, like, I, as he was sitting down to interview him numerous times, like I had assumed it was going to be something like that, like some stupid question like that at the beginning of every attempt to interview mm-hmm. him, and he keeps getting distracted and he'll do the interview. But he actually, like, I I remember thinking exactly what you just said as I was watching. It's like he's actually like coming in with a different question each time, and a few of these are actually interesting. And then when he finally gets the interview, it's just like everything, and then cut to black or whatever. It's just, yeah. yeah, and it was that's just not. <sighs> it does. It, it is like a cop out. You're right. Like they could have actually. I love scenes where people get interviewed in movies. Like it's a weird thing that I really enjoy. But like I, I really enjoyed like the interview scene with Mark Ruffalo and Foxcatcher. I think. Yeah, I don't think you've. I don't think you've. Have you seen Magnolia? Uh, way oh, back. Paul, Tom, Paul Thomas Anderson movie. There's a scene where Tom Cruise's character gets interviewed in there, which is just like the my, honestly my favorite thing Tom Cruise has ever done. Um, ironically enough, because we're talking. Our favorite Cameron Crowe movie is probably one that Tom Cruise is in, Jerry and then Meyer. and the, and then also like the Brie Larson scene in Room. Like I love in, uncomfortable interview scenes, so I would have like I it it does feel like he took the easy way out. Like it made sense that the band member might want to dodge him, but that doesn't mean you don't write that scene eventually. Yeah, that's the thing is why I don't know. I just wish that they had explored it more because we don't even know what he's writing besides these guys are fighting because Russell thinks he's better and Russell's in love with this chick. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know what else he would write 4,000 words on because it ended up being a little redundant throughout the movie of the problems. You mean he didn't write about his orgy with the band Scroopies? Yeah, what? <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. This is autobiog- it was autobiographical. We, so. did, we did everything we could to get you laid. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, it's like, like, I mean, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, it would, yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, like, I, like, I, like, I was getting at earlier, like, I wouldn't have mind, like, there are certain movies where it's like, I just, I'm ready for this to be over. And even if I didn't like this as much on my next viewing, I would have been perfectly happy with them. Uh, having this movie be 30 minutes longer and actually just like, grinding it out, like, to just write a legit conversation between these two, like, I mean, yeah, it's a lot better if you have a better actor playing William, but it's a better movie if you just have some better scenes. And I think that would have been really cool if we actually saw him, one, dive into, like, those questions we saw about just specifically writing a depressed song when you're depressed, writing a whatever song when you're whatever. Like, that was something interesting. And then even the stuff I was talking about, it's like, are you? do you think you're going to be able to write good songs once you're ridiculously famous? Like, yeah. getting it, getting at that and hearing them talk about that would have been cool, too. And those are just different ideas that, like, the movie, like... Yeah, hey, those are things that we could possibly talk about, and you and and, and they throw them out there for you to see, and then they just never go back to him. Yeah, and, and it's oh, like, hey, we'll, we'll talk about his relationship with the <laughs> groupie. Yeah, oh, you guys are getting famous. the The record company wants you to have a real manager. Blah blah blah. Here comes in Jimmy Fallon, and then it's like. Oh, okay. That's like, weird. That's weird now. But like back then, like Jimmy Fallon, like somehow I don't know. I don't know the story of how he got in that movie, but he literally got on SNL in like '99. Like he somehow got that role, like before anyone knew who he was. So, I mean, it's a little distracting knowing that that's like the no, hey, no, that's no, I'm Jimmy. not saying it's distracting. I'm saying the the idea that like also this this big band having a friend as their manager and then oh, yeah. a new manager coming along. It's another thing that they like. They, oh, they like, preserve that. The guys. The guys yeah. like, yeah, that's cool. I get it. You probably need a better manager. It's yeah. like, well. Maybe in in real life, someone might be a little butthurt about that actually, and yeah, like, I, think they would I want to be. see you actually deal, not only deal with the band, but like, yeah, your relationship's going to change with the people around you when you get famous, and that was a pretty good example of it that they could have um, addressed a little more. Yeah, so I mean, I don't know. I didn't hate the movie. I just think that 
it's one of those things where it bothers you when there's good elements or good structure where it could be more interesting, but then this happens and then you get frustrated. Yeah. I mean, it's, and it's the thing that like no one's, no one, I don't think anyone's going to really try that again exactly because this movie is so revered. I mean, not that stuff doesn't get remade all the time, but it's like, you'll just like get called out as like a, Cameron for the copycatter. If you try and do something like that with like, if a different filmmaker tries to do something like that, I mean, I guess maybe there have been other movies like this that just weren't good and I don't know about him, but like, I would like to see this again. And, but the thing is, you probably have to make it a period piece because, and then you're really just going to be accused of being a copycat because you can't do that about a band in 2016. Cause I said at the beginning of the podcast, like journalists just don't get to do that with like anyone these days it's like yeah. you get these like the most access a journalist gets is like being able to eat like a dinner with someone and it like like that miles teller interview that got like slaughtered yeah. like when when it, it's like you you get to meet the actress or the actor at like a coffee shop and that's that, yeah. that's most it like or you get to like watch them record for an hour or yeah. something it's, well, like, it's w- never more than that i was gonna say i was gonna bring up straight out of compton but also the people who were featured made the movie. So it's kind of, it's kind of hard to separate the actual, like, Oh, this is a story about us back in the day. But yeah, you could still make movies like that. I just meant like a, like a dropping, like a, someone into a world like this movie does. Like, I hope more movies are made like straight out of Compton. And yeah, the, and like the one drawback of straight out of Compton was that like, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube are producers. Like, yeah. if I think it's, it's, if, it's if you, a, like, it's probably take a that more out, honest was, movie without them, maybe. Yeah. And like, it's a great movie. And it's like, it would be like a perfect movie if like a couple of things had just been different that weren't different because they were producers. And I think, I think you'll definitely get more band movies. And hopefully they're as good as Straight Out of Compton. I just mean like, we saw the bones of an awesome movie and almost famous and like it had some good stuff. But it's like, because so many other people think it's like a perfect movie, I just don't know if it's something. I don't know if it's something that people are going to go mess with again. Do you like Love and Mercy more than Almost Famous, or would you not compare them at all? Mm, I mean, I don't know if I would uh, say they're similar movies, but trying to think about which one I think is better is interesting. Because if you'd asked me before my rewatch of Almost Famous, I would have said uh, Almost Famous for sure. I think. I think I'd probably still take Almost Famous just because the John Cusack stuff really. Yeah, I was gonna say Paul Dano's half of Love through. and Mercy is better yeah, than both. Yeah, movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 that's that's an accurate statement. Yeah, I mean, I think there's enough stuff I like in this one throughout that like I probably take it over that just because it was just kind of like a ugh, like every time I went to the John Cusack part of Love and Famous, if they just set that whole movie in the in the '60s, uh, that's probably a much that's probably like an Academy Award nominated film. Like it, Paul Dano certainly gets an Academy Award nomination. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I don't know. Just something that popped in my head before we close out here. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Well, so this was kind of a special edition uh, podcast going back in time, talking about Almost Famous. I'm sure we'll we'll do you know maybe a couple more of these before year's end. Um, but yeah, so thanks for listening. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at a clambake a k l a m b a k e. And I'm at Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. And you can tweet us some suggestions if you have, like, another old movie you'd like us to talk about. Yeah, for I think sure. Like six weeks on... till, like, it's like six weeks till any, like, good shit comes out again, I think. Yeah, friend us on Facebook. We're very um, technological here. Um, <laughs> and... I think we'll get a 52 and 52 Twitter feed going soon. Like, I got this whole unemployment thing. Like, I think I really need to devote some <laughs> time to making some the podcast. Some fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and so podcast email if you want to get in touch with us or Rachel. 
um, 52in52pod at gmail.com, 52in52pod at gmail.com. Um, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.